Shabbat Shalom, everyone. <clears throat> so we are in the end of our series on Hanukkah. This is a four-part series. It's our fourth part. And I've entitled this Hanukkah, <clears throat> A Faith That Overcomes the World. Hanukkah, A Faith That Overcomes the World. And I think we're having some difficulties. No, we're not. I didn't give them any slides, so thank you. They got a day off. So you're going to have to pay close attention and take some notes. So the festival of Hanukkah, again, Hanukkah means dedication. The festival, festival of uh, dedication reminds us to be dedicated to God's presence in our world and to his commandments. I mean, we believe in Jesus, and that's a good thing. But are we devoted to his ways? Are we dedicated to his ways? Because that's where the rubber meets the road, right? Now, in the crisis that gave way to Hanukkah, we see an antichrist that rises and persecutes the people of God who had already abandoned God's ways and embraced the lawless culture around them. The antichrist then uses his influence, his power, and his authority to eliminate the Torah as a way of life for the people of God and to legislate a new way of thinking and a new way of living in accordance with a pagan worldview, pagan values, and pagan beliefs. You know, I, I, I got to stop there. I'm just thinking about this. The thought police, right? Man, I was just reading an article just a couple days ago in the UK where a woman got arrested for praying in her mind in the UK. Are we, I mean, it's, is that like, I can't even believe that's happening. I've, I've never heard about that in the West, you know? What is going on? She's standing in front, on the sidewalk, in front of an abortion clinic where it's illegal to protest or to try to uh, say anything about it to anybody that's coming in or leaving. It's not even open. There's no one there. She's not talking to anyone. She's just standing there. The police come up. They say, what are you doing? Are you praying? She goes, well, in my mind, you know, not, not out loud or anything, just in my mind. They arrested her for that, for praying in her mind. Yeah, that's why we did what we had to do in 1776. And we better step it up so it doesn't take place here in our country. Crazyville, right? All right. So, in the end of this drama under the, the Maccabees, in the end, a few bold and daring lovers of God stood up and said no to the wokeness of Antiochus Epiphanes and fought against it until God granted them victory over their oppressors. It was then that they rededicated their lives to God and to his dwelling presence, the temple where God dwelt among them. They just cleaned it all up and rededicated it to God. That's where we get the celebration of Hanukkah, the festival of dedication. They dedicated them, themselves after God granted them liberty and the freedom to worship him. They made a festival out of that. They said, let's never forget this. And they came up with an eight-day festival where they let Hanukkahs, menorahs that have eight branches for eight days, a candle for each day, right? 
And they said, we'll never forget the importance of the freedoms that we have by God's hand. So they celebrated for eight days, and they did that every year, and that became the festival of Hanukkah. Now later, it becomes known by an, an additional name. By the first century, there is a phrase given to it that rivals the, the prior name, the festival of dedication. They didn't do away with the festival of dedication in terms of the phraseology, but they added a new one. They started calling it also the festival of light. Why? Because they chose light in the beginning to be the symbol of the celebration, the light of the Hanukkah. And the reason is, is because light is associated with God. In fact, we find out in the New Testament um, a verse that says God is light. It's not just that he dwells in unapproachable light. That's true. It's that he is the light that he dwells within. He himself is light. And so light is connected with God. It becomes a figure of speech conveying the ideas of revelation, of receiving understanding that you didn't have. Like the light went on and now you can understand, right? So this concept of light being a metaphor for, for revelation and illumination is also seen throughout the scriptures. And then we have Jesus, right? The light of the world, the light of God coming into the world, enlightening the hearts of every man and every woman, right? The true light of God. God himself really is what we're talking about. So what does he do during Hanukkah? You know, he's got a home base. His ministry base is Capernaum. That's where he ministers. He comes down for the festivals to Jerusalem. And then he goes back up to Upper Galilee in the north where he lives and where he does ministry. That's his home base. And here we have him in John chapter 10, down in Jerusalem in the temple during Hanukkah. You say, coincidence. <laughs> really? Think about that. It's not a commanded festival. So why is he down there? Do you know it's a four to five day journey from where he lives in the north down to Jerusalem? Yeah, if you're on foot, it's eight hours every day, four to five days to reach Jerusalem. Yeah, and it's winter. This is the season of winter. That's when Hanukkah takes place. So the journey from, from Upper Galilee down to Jerusalem, yeah, slightly arduous because it's in the winter. And yet there he is in the temple during Hanukkah. Why on earth would he be there? We talked about this weeks ago. What would you do if you were the light of the world, right? What would you do if you were the light of God? And they're celebrating in the temple a festival to honor the light of God. Wouldn't you show up? <clears throat> now that's speculation, but it's good speculation. He shows up, and what does he do? When you read the text, it's amazing. He reveals himself for the first time. He proclaims, not only am I the Messiah, I am one with the Father. They say, blasphemy, you a man, make yourself out to be God. And he's like, yeah, that's who I am. Hello, right? He's the light of God. He's the revelation of God, the illumination of God. 
When he's on the mountain, he transfigures himself. He's so bright, they can't even look. They said he, the, the, the brilliance is greater than that of the sun. You ever try staring at the sun in the middle of the day? Yeah, he's the light of God, the light of the world. Of course, he's going to show up at the festival of lights. And in that revelation of light, reveal who he is for the first time. He'd been pretty coy about that until that season came. It was the perfect setting to reveal himself as the light of God. So even though Hanukkah is not a commanded festival, its meaning and lessons are. Here's some big takeaways. This is what we learned from Hanukkah, some of the lessons, right? We're going to apply those to us today. We need to wake up from our wokeness and return to what God states is real, true, and just. God is the one that tells us what is right and wrong, what is true and false, what is real and fake. We need to return to Him. This wokeness wants to redefine everything and turn it upside down. Just like the days of the Maccabees. Who's going to stand up and say enough? We need to dedicate ourselves to his revelations, his truths, and his commandments as a way of life. We cannot afford to make the mistake that our ancestors made in becoming a friend of the culture in which we live, and selling out on who God is in order to gain acceptance and peace in the culture that we find ourselves in. We need to bring the light of God, Jesus, and the Word into the dark places of our lives, our families, our friendships. We are the light of the world. We now are the ones that are responsible to bring that light of God, the revelation of his ways, into the marketplaces, into our schools, into politics, military, domestic and foreign affairs, science and medicine. In short, every place, every corner, nook and cranny of this fallen world You are the lights. So who are you? What do you do for a living? Where's your circles of influence? Let your light shine. Don't don't just put it under a church basket behind these four walls where no one can see it except for us, right? No, we're supposed to actually let the light shine wherever we're at. You say, well, I'll lose my job. Maybe you will. I'll be canceled. Maybe you will. Cry, baby. Wait till they take your head off like they do in other countries. Now you have something to gripe about, right? My dad used to spank us when we had bad attitudes. (laughs) He believed that behavior started in the mind. So if you could nip it in the mind, you could pretty much take care of it in the behavior phase, you know, so... I'd be moping around the house, you know, grumping about something, you know, and he'd come up from behind me and give me a swat, you know, startle me, you know, I was like, what? I'm like looking at him like, what? What's that for? What's that for? I want some justice, you know? Give me some social justice. What's that for? 
My dad would say, nothing. Now do something. That was for nothing, but go ahead and do something. Yeah, okay. Whatever. Yeah. He'd spank us for bad attitudes because he knew that if that wasn't nipped in the bud, that attitude would work its way out in ways that would be destructive for my own life and those around me. Yeah. Isn't that amazing when you think about that? We, we are called to be a light in the world around us, even if it costs us something, even if there's pushback, even if there's a little bit of pain. Yeah, because really, it's nothing. What you and I endure, it's nothing. It's like a little potch. Who cares? You get some pushback. You lose a job. You know, you get canceled. Yeah, at least they're not bloodying your face, cutting your heads off, you know, coming in and pillaging your family and, and all that you have. Now, that's a big cost. Because we don't have that level of persecution, we should shine brighter than ever before. Because if we retreat, there is no hope for the world we're living in. Now more than ever, we need to let our lights shine. You are the Maccabees, right? Who else will stand up if you and I don't? This is our calling. This is our mission in life, to be a light for the nations. Now, as I pointed out last week, God's calling his people out of Babylon. We read that in Revelation chapter 18. At the very end of the age, the final message from an angel in heaven coming to the people on earth, the final message is, hey, yo, people of God, come out of Babylon. You know, that's a strange message. What that implies is the people of God are not living within the realm of the kingdom. They've sold out. They're living within the realm of Babylon. And again, Babylon's not a location. It's a mindset. It's a way of life. It's the spirit of Antichrist, the spirit of lawlessness, wokeness. God's saying, come out of her. I'm going to judge her. Come out of her, my people. Yeah, will you think about it? Babylon hadn't existed for many, many centuries. So who's he talking about? Well, it was code for Rome. He just couldn't say Rome because that empire already had him on an island, prison island, right? And if he'd spoken out too clearly about Rome, they would have had his head. So he just uses the, the term Babylon to describe Rome, kind of a hidden cryptic term for Rome. And if that's true of Rome, how much more true is it of the empires that we live in today who are doing and acting like Rome did in the past. So everything that we know about Rome and what took place is actually informing us of how we should live today and what we can expect. Because that has been our history for as long as we've been here. So let's look at this for a moment. The motive of the story of Hanukkah is summed up in this passage, Revelation 14, 12. Here's the perseverance of the saints who keep the commandments of God in their faith in Jesus. That's what the Maccabees did. Their faith and trust was in the Messiah to come and they were living within the context of the commandments of God. That's what it meant to be loyal to God. That's a loyal faithfulness to God. And when they came and encroached on him and his family and said, no, you're going you're gonna to embrace what we say is true and right and good, or you're going down. 
They said, we'd rather go down than go ahead because we ain't giving this up. We're going to serve God, we're going to stay faithful, and we're not going to compromise. And that's where that whole story unfolds. Isn't that true? They persevered. Here's the perseverance of the saints who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. They persevered under tremendous pressure. Their lives at stake. And they persevered. They wouldn't give up. They stayed true to the covenants. That is the spirit of the Maccabees. That is the spirit of faithfulness to the covenants. And by the end of time, we're all still in Babylon, being called like previous generations to come out. And then there's that shining, shining remnant, that remnant of believers who wouldn't compromise. Here they are, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. Let's take a snapshot of Rome, see what Rome did. You know, Rome uh, is just like the previous empire, Greece, who had a little horn that thought he was a big horn. And then he persecuted the people of God. And he banned things like the Sabbath. He banned the dietary laws. He, he in effect, said, you can't keep the Torah. You're going to embrace our culture or you're going to prison. In fact, he actually had, had made it a death penalty at a given point. So if you were found practicing uh, your faith, you lost your life. And then we see that replay in Rome, the next empire who also has a little horn who thinks he's a big horn. I don't know what it is about the little horns. It's like the little dog syndrome, you know, the chihuahua, you know, <laughs> oh my gosh, they're ferocious. Okay. And there's the big dog that take care of business and just shy and meek and mild. So anyway, watch out for the little horns. So under uh, Babylon in John's day, Rome, this is what we saw. We saw the empire rise to a point that when it turned on Judaism, it would ultimately prohibit it and specifically legislate against Sabbath observance. They said, no longer, you can't keep the Sabbath. No circumcision, no Sabbath, no festivals. You can't live according to the covenant because there's one God, and he's the emperor, and you're going to pay your homage there. Now, the early church, it divorced itself from the Jewish people, from Israel, and many of the commandments of God. They forsook the dietary laws and adopted Rome's day of the sun as their new day of worship. They replaced the holy days of God with syncretized pagan Roman holy days. And they replayed the apostasy of Israel under the Greek empire. And today, not much has changed. We are still living in the wokeness of Babylon. But thanks to Hanukkah, we're reminded that God has called us to repent of Babylon's wokeness and return to the clear and illuminating ways of God. It is here that we learn to persevere in our faith towards Jesus as we embrace the commandments of God as a way of life. It's twofold, faith in Jesus and faithfulness to the commandments of God. You can't have one without the other. If you want Jesus and no commandments, that's the beginning of your wokeness journey. It doesn't end well. We are called to put our faith in the Messiah and walk in the commandments of God by the empowering Spirit inside of us, the Holy Spirit within us. Therefore, 
my final push for Hanukkah. Therefore, we have left Rome's holy Sunday and we have returned and dedicated ourselves to God's holy Sabbath. I cannot say enough about that. Ten Commandments. Only one has the prefix, remember. Only one. He doesn't say, remember, don't commit adultery. Remember, don't steal. No, he just says, remember, in regard to one commandment, the Sabbath. Why? I don't know. Maybe it's because that's the one that we forgot. No one else forgets any of the other ones, right? But that one is the forgotten day, the Sabbath of the Lord our God. It identifies us as the people of God, that we belong to God and God belongs to us. Worship days, super important, super important. They're marks of identity. Friday, Islam. Sabbath, Judaism. Sunday, Roman Christianity. All these days are important in the scheme of things. They've always been. We have left Rome's Holy Sunday and have returned and dedicated ourselves. Hanukkah, dedication. We have dedicated ourselves to God's holy Sabbath. We're not living in Babylon. We're living in Israel, the Israel of God, which now is a cosmopolitan of Jews and Gentiles from all over the world who believe in Jesus and keep the commandments of God. That is the Israel of God. We have left Rome's pagan syncretized holy days and have returned and dedicated ourselves to God's holy days. It's God's holy days that reveal the Messiah, the beauty and the glory of Jesus. They're all tied up in those days. He's the fullness of those days. He brings out the fullness of the revelation of who he is through those festivals. They are there to reveal the Son of God and to bring glory to the Father. When we keep these days, when we immerse ourselves in these days, we experience the love of God for us and his plan to save us through the Messiah. We have left Rome's mindset that the body is corrupt, irredeemable, and therefore it doesn't matter what we put in it. Really? Because we're taught from the Torah that our bodies are holy, that our bodies will be redeemed, resurrected, and glorified. Therefore, we are dedicated to eating clean things, and nutritious foods. It's our body. We'll glorify our bodies for him who gave us their precious gift that we all possess. Yeah, the dietary laws, they're all about treating our body holy, a gift from God. We have left Rome's perversions of sexuality and gender confusion. We proclaim the beauty and wonder of God's blueprint for making us in his binary image, male and female, men and women, boys and girls. This is what we celebrate. I never thought I'd see the day where I have to work on a regular basis reminding my grandkids, my grandsons, hey, you're, you're boys. I have to tell them, you know, you're boys. And, and they get that because their parents say the same thing and the grandparents on the other side of the family. But I have to say that now. You're boys. I have to tell them what a boy is. Because our schools can't 
define it anymore. Our most educated people in the land can't define what a woman is. We're so woke, we're stupid. You know, unbelievable. But I'm telling you right now, we teach our children and have to teach our children like never before. No other generation in America. We have to now pay attention and teach them because the schools are turning and flipping it upside down. And it's a real problem. It will, it will bring confusion and misery and devastation to our kids. So we got to stand up and we got to teach our, our children and teach them well. So we celebrate male and female, men and women, as defined by God. This is what we are dedicated to. Hanukkah is why we join and serve in elder-led Bible-believing churches. They are manifestations of the bride of Jesus. You cannot say that you love Jesus but want nothing to do with the church. Oh, I love Jesus, I just don't like his, his bride. <laughs> you know, let me tell you something. If you told me, hey, I really like you, but your wife, you know, bunk or what, you know, I'd say, hey, bro, you, you and me, we're, we're not friends. I have no relationship with you. If you don't honor my wife, I don't honor you. The local church is the bride of Christ. And we say, oh, I don't really care about her. Don't want anything to do with her. How do you say you love Jesus? Yeah, that's woke. Yeah, doesn't make any sense. Now, to love Jesus is to love the bride, to be connected to the bride, to participate as his bride. Why do we give 10% of our income to our churches? We do that because we're dedicated to God and his ways. We've learned that it's an act of worship that frees us from the love of money. Or the fear of lack. You know why it's so hard to give? Because we're worried that we're not going to have enough. That's the fear of lack. Your fear is leading you to break the commandments of God. Fear always does that. If you trust God that he's going to provide for you, you can then give the 10%. Because you realize, no, he's going to provide for him. He'll take care of me. Right? So this act of giving 10% is what frees us from the love of money or the fear of lack. Love of money is the root of all evil. When you set your heart on money and trying to make as much as you can to put in a can, to sit on your can, or whatever, however that goes, you know what? It never works out. It does not work out. It grows wings. It can leave in so many different ways. Just ask Sam Bankman Freed, whatever his name is, right? He's, I don't even know where it's at. Are you telling me it grew wings and flew away? Because that's what the Torah says it can do, right? And that's what it did. And you're in a whole lot of trouble now. Now, we need to free ourselves from the love of money and the fear of lack so that we can live life in its fullest, trusting and leaning on the everlasting arms that God's going to see us through. He always has, and he always will. And then finally, uh, why do we educate ourselves? and develop strong work ethics, and pursue careers to provide for ourselves and those under our care. Hanukkah. Dedication. We do it because we're dedicated to the King of Heaven and providing for our families 
the working poor and leaving an inheritance to our grandchildren. Now, I could talk about a number of other things. Those are some high points, some big takeaways. But in conclusion, you might be here saying, well, I'm really new to all this. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm behind the eight ball. What, what am I going to do? You start where you're at. You start, God loves you. God's favor is upon you. You're a son, a daughter of God. Listen, you just start where you're at. We're all on the same journey. We just have different starting places, but we're all on the same journey and God is bringing us through. And it's a generational thing. It's a generational thing. So just know that what you do in your life and those you influence under your care, they're going to take it farther than what you did. And you get to participate in that glory. That's part of your legacy. So you don't look at other people who are maybe way farther down the road than you and get envious or jealous. Or you don't look behind you at people that are way behind you and look down your nose at them like they're so, whoa, they're so far behind. You know, what are they even trying for? You know, no, you just focus on where you're at. And know that the grace of God is there for you. And you walk your walk and you live your journey for the glory of God. You let your light shine because your light is going to bring a lot of people into the kingdom. And that is what we're called to do. That is what we're called to be. So let's take our rightful places with the king of glory. Let's find our empowerment through his spirit and let our light shine, his light in us, bringing the love of God to all around us, the mercy of God to all around us, the ways of God to all around us as we advance his eternal kingdom now and forever in Jesus' name. Shabbat Shalom. Happy Hanukkah.